Welcome to Victory Fellowship's online podcast library. We hope you enjoy this message today. Wonderful to be back. I'm fond of Frank in Paris. I do preach somewhere every week uh, since um, our retirement uh, some 12 years ago. I'll tell you something you may not know. When I had been at Westminster Chapel 23 years, I began to think, how long shall I stay here? I was hoping for great revival to come, and I thought, when do I call it quits? I thought, well, I'll stay 25 years. But then I thought, oh dear, what will I do? We go back to America where nobody knows us. I'm, I'm from Kentucky. And I grew up here, but we went to England back in 1973 and, and virtually lost contact with, with our own country. And I thought, what will I do? Come back to America? And I thought, well, I, I'm a fisherman and we will live in the Florida Keys and I will become a recluse and uh, fish 25 hours a day in my retirement. That was, I was having this conversation. And in that moment, I won't say it was an audible voice, but it was as clear as if it were. Your ministry in America will be to charismatics. I said, oh no. <laughs> hmm. I'm beginning to think, well, no, wait a minute, please. If I'm going to have a ministry in America, let it be to evangelicals because I have what they need. I know how evangelicals think. I'm a reformed theologian. I have the credentials. Surely, it should be to them. No. Charismatics. And I, my, my heart just sank. But I will tell you that uh, 80%, maybe 90, uh, of, of the invitations have been to charismatic churches. And I still am asking why. Uh, but uh, what I, the reason I said that, uh, it's not everywhere I go that I have so much in common as I do with your pastor and his wife and it's just been delightful to, to spend time with them and I'm honored to be back uh, he kindly mentioned my books uh, my most recent Holy Fire this is written to refute the idea that the gifts of the Spirit ceased in the earliest church and uh, you read this book you will never question again they are available today. Not only is Jesus Christ the same yesterday, today, and forever, the Holy Spirit is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And uh, uh, this is Holy Fire. It's supposed to be $16, 10. We, we came to get rid of them. And as you know, uh, for you that weren't here in the last two days, you can take any one of my books, including this one, 40 Days with the Holy Spirit. This too, $10, supposed to be $15. Uh, this is a devotional book. It'll last you 40 days, take you five minutes each day to read. It's introducing the Holy Spirit as if you knew nothing. Uh, you can take either of these books to any Starbucks in the New Orleans area. And we've made arrangements. You do have Starbucks in Metairie? We do. Well, I can tell you... Uh, you can, you can go there. 
prove it. Here's what you do. You go up to the window or go inside. Show them my book. Open it. And show them my signature right here on the inside. And give them $3.95, you can get a cappuccino. That is true with any Starbucks, and uh, it has been extended to the whole state of Louisiana. I just thought you'd like to know that. I don't know why I'm so good to you people, but I just came to bless you. Thank you for laughing. It's an old joke. I understand there's a game on at 12 o'clock. Is that true? No, no. Uh, who are you for? I'm just curious. I mean, it's a... You're for the saints. Hmm. God bless you, my brother. So you're signing to the deaf? Yeah. My wife signs to the death. Yes. Okay. God bless you. Would you open your Bibles to Romans chapter 1. The epistle to the Romans chapter 1. A message that I've been preaching for the last 18 months all over the world and where I have been up to now, it has been greatly needed. I don't know that you need this, but you will love it if you love the gospel. Romans chapter 1. I want to start at verse 16. I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. First for the Jew, then for the Gentile. For in the gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed. A righteousness that is by faith. Now, the Greek reads, and as you would have it in the King James Version, ESV, sometimes I get so upset with the NIV, uh, uh, I've been using it for years. Uh, I was brought up on the King James, as some of you are. But I need to tell you that the Greek says the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. This is important. Uh, and you can see the footnote if you're using the NIV. It says from faith to faith. Just as it is written, the righteousness, the righteous will live by faith. And then verse 18, for the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness. I'll stop there. It's hard to know just where to stop. But may God be pleased to bless the reading and the preaching of this is most holy and infallible word. Brief word of prayer. Heavenly Father, I pray now for the sprinkling of the blood of Jesus by your Holy Spirit to be upon every mind in this place, that their perception of what I say 
will be received, grasped, understood, and applied as you intend upon my tongue that I'll be cleansed, that I might be your transparent instrument to say everything that you want said, nothing you don't want to be said. May this be life-changing. For all I know, someone today will be saved. May it be a word that brings great honor and glory to your name. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. We look at the section of Paul's letter to the Romans. Uh, Martin Luther called Romans the purest gospel. Uh, it is Paul's most complete statement of the gospel in any of his epistles. Uh, Galatians is called the little book of Romans, uh, but it doesn't have as much in it. It's all there, uh, but when you get to Romans, uh, he tells you everything. Now, why is this? Why is Romans a long book? Why is it his most complete statement of the gospel? Well, there was no apostolic leadership in Rome. And Paul knew that he would not be elbowing in on an, another apostle's territory. You might find that a strange thing for me to say, but the apostles were sensitive in this area. If Peter had been there, well, Paul would go someplace else. And, uh, but no apostle had been in Rome. Besides, Paul had envisaged going to Rome. And he wanted them to know everything he believed before he got there. And so this is why you have this complete statement. Now, why is this part of Romans so important? Well, I can tell you. In chapter 15, verse 25, he puts it like this. It has always been my ambition to preach the gospel where Christ was not known so that I would not be building on someone else's foundation. This is very interesting that Paul wanted to go where the gospel had never been. Now, this is a little different from so many today that go into the ministry. Those who go to Bible school, they go to seminary, uh, I think what they would envisage is when they get out of seminary, they're going to go to a church it's already been established. Uh, and they can imagine they'll have a parsonage, a manse, pastorium, and they can live and bring up their family. There's already a church there. The Apostle Paul would never conceive of anything like that. He wanted to find out, is there any place no one has ever been with the gospel? That's where he wanted to go. He wouldn't have been interested in coming to America. The Bible Belt would have no appeal to him. He would far rather go to Iraq or to China, uh, spots where there had been no gospel. He would say, give me the Buddhist, give me the Hindu, give me the Muslim, give me someone who's never heard it. And I wonder why that is. Well, it's because, he says in verse 16, I am not ashamed of the gospel. We're living in a time when I think people are ashamed of the gospel. And I think the worst thing to happen in recent years in the church 
is what I would call a destigmatizing of the gospel. You see, the gospel inherently has a stigma, an offense. There's nothing nice about it. It offends. And uh, we're living in a time when people are nervous that we don't have church attendance as we used to have. And so the idea is let's be seeker friendly. Let's try to win people in. And so they find out we're not so bad. And we try to relate to people so that they will like us more. Well, in England, you have this. Church attendance has got right down to about 3% of the nation. And that would include anybody that goes to church. They took a poll some 20 years ago. Wanted to know, why is it people don't go to church? And you'd be surprised at the reason. You see, churches where the gospel is not preached are those where there's no offense. Well, let's put it another way. They found out that people don't go to church because the doctrine of penal substitution of the atonement is not, not, not preached or the message of eternal punishment. Ministers thought if they quit those two things, the people will come to church. Instead, less and less come. Now, why is this? And I want to talk about that today. Now, why is this p position uh, of Romans so important? Or let me put it another way. What do you think of when you think of the Apostle Paul? What comes to your mind? What? Suffering. Okay? What word would you think you would use to describe Paul? What's the first thing that comes to your mind? Bold? Okay. What noun would you use? Would you say theologian? Hmm? Would that be the main one? Pastor? Apostle? Missionary? What? Okay, that's an adjective. What word that would describe him? Anyone else? You said apostle, pastor, missionary, theologian? Evangelist. That's the word. This is the way to understand Paul. He was basically an evangelist. And if you miss this, you don't understand this man that God used to write nearly two-thirds of the New Testament. Uh, for example, in Acts 17, Paul uh, was in Athens and he was waiting for Timothy to show up. For some reason, Timothy was late. Uh, he didn't come when he thought he would, so Paul had a little time in Athens. So how would he spend his time? Uh, what would you do if you were in Athens and you found out you got an extra two days? How would you want to spend your time if you're in Athens, Greece? What? Preach the gospel. Is that what you would do? Oh, good. All right. I think most 
people, most Americans would say, is there a shopping center? Or, of course, they'd want to go up uh, and see the Parthenon. Uh, that's where tourists go. Uh, well, you might like to know that Paul did uh, choose to go to a shopping center. Did you know that? That's exactly, yes, yes. In fact, it says, since he had this time, Acts 17, 17, he went to the synagogue and then went to the marketplace. That's the shopping center. Day by day, with those who happened to be there. That was Paul. Don't miss this point. I'll tell you something. When I was at Westminster Chapel, uh, we came to a time in my ministry that I had no idea would be life-changing for me. I invited a man by the name of Arthur Blessed. He's a man that's carried the cross around the world. Uh, he put a cross on a, a little place in Sunset Strip in Hollywood. He called it his place. And Arthur uh, built a 16-foot wooden cross, nailed it to the wall, uh, so that people coming in would understand why there is only orange juice for coffee. Uh, it was next door to a strip joint. And so people would come in, and they'd see that cross. Arthur said, if I knew I was going to have to carry it one day, I wouldn't have made it so big. But one day, the Lord says, take the cross down from the wall, and on uh, December 25th, uh, 1965 or 67, 66, I should remember the exact date, but Christmas Day, Arthur started carrying the cross around the world. I could talk a lot about that, but the point I want to make is I invited him to Westminster Chapel, and uh, I thought it'd be good for him. He's a great preacher, great speaker, and uh, what I wasn't prepared for is that he got us out on the streets to talk to people about Jesus. Well, I'd never done anything like that in my life. And uh, the way we did it in those days, we would simply go knock on doors and give out uh, maybe pamphlets. Uh, we give out, uh, our, we would take polls, uh, ask questions. Uh, the idea of just talking to somebody about Jesus directly wasn't on our radar screen. And one evening, when Arthur addressed about 30 of our young people, uh, at the end of that little talk, uh, we came out and we were going to go over to Page Street because that's where you can knock on doors with our surveys. Six questions, you know. Uh, do you believe in God? Would you like a relationship with God? Things like that. And then if it was really successful, uh, they might agree to come to church the following Sunday. And that was the extent of our ambition. Well, 30 people filed out, went over to Page Street, and Arthur and I were the last out, and Arthur sees three people standing there by what they call in England a zebra crossing. Three people standing, and Arthur went right to them. I said, Arthur, Page Street is this way. And next thing I know, he's talking to them about Jesus, presenting the gospel, going over the gospel, and I'm looking at my watch, we need to get going. And uh, two of them were very interested. And eventually, they received the Lord. They prayed and bowed their heads and prayed the sinner's prayer. And I said, Arthur, we, we need to get going. And next, he, he takes out another track. He 
goes over uh, what just happened to you, a follow-up material, and uh, finally, he finished. I said, Arthur, we need to go. He saw somebody coming from the area of Buckingham Palace. Buckingham Palace just a block away from the chapel. And Arthur went and he sees the young man, and in a few minutes, he's got him on his knees. And he received Jesus. And I thought, we're never going to get the page straight. And Arthur said, Dr. Kendall, I don't know where this Page Street is, but you don't need to leave the steps of your church. You've got the world here. In that moment, I died a thousand deaths. And I had a vision. It was a vision of a pilot light, like a cooker in an oven. It just stays lit 24 hours a day. And I knew that I'd never be the same again. There's a hymn, the chorus, I will praise him, I will praise him, praise the Lamb for sinners slain. And in that little hymn, you have the words, my ambitions, plans, and wishes at his feet in ashes lay. Until then, if I were totally honest, it's embarrassing to admit this, but I will say it. I aspired to be a world-class theologian. That was it. That left, never to come back again. And I knew that I would have to be out on the streets. You see, I always thought I had done my duty but in the pulpit. You know something? It's easier to preach to a thousand. Talking to you right here, this is, this is a piece of cake than to go right outside and start talking to anybody that happens to be there. That's what Paul did. He happened to those who, ha talked to those who happened to be there. That's the great apostle Paul. This is the one that wrote two-thirds of the epistles of the New Testament. You think he's a great theologian. Listen, he cared about people's souls and I was never to be the same again. And we opened up a new ministry and the following uh, month, when Arthur had gone to another country, we started our pilot light ministry. I could stand here for a good while to tell you how God used that ministry. But here's the thing. I had written a tract. Uh, that tract had been written for a number of years. And uh, we gave out tracts. Uh, and this particular track, I call it, What is Christianity? And the reason for the track is that there was no there tracks in the back of the pews. They just had fill out if you're a visitor and, and little things like that. And I thought, we ought to have tracks in the back of the pews. So I wrote a track. And in the track, uh, I put something in there that I, I knew wouldn't be too popular. Well, I gave it to a deacon who gave it to a printer. And... Uh, they came back to me uh, a couple weeks later and said, Dr. Kendall, uh, the printer, who's a Christian, by the way, uh, says you've made a mistake in your tract. I said, what's that? Well, I, knew, I knew exactly what he was going to say. He said, well, in this tract you say, Christianity is concerned mostly about your death. This, is, this printer, who's a Christian, says Dr. Kendall should say 
Christianity is concerned mostly with your life. I said, Peter, get another printer. This is why I'm in London. Well, he got another printer. Well, the interesting thing is that we started the Pilot Light Ministry and used that tract. And uh, after a couple of years, although we'd seen a lot of success, uh, we went through a time when you could call it a lull. For a couple of months, it seemed like nobody had prayed to receive the Lord. And I began to think, I think I have done this long enough. I need to go to the church and say, well, we did it. We showed we would do it. We're not sorry we did it, but it's had its place. And I promise you, I blush to admit this, I was going to close it down. That Saturday morning, 10 seconds later, 10 seconds, a man came up to me and said, this man over here wants to talk to you. I said, you want to talk to me? Well, he said, I'm a taxi driver, and I'd just like to some, talk to somebody about this pamphlet I've got. And I said, well, I, I wrote it. Oh, you, you wrote it? You're Dr. R.T. Kent? I said, yeah. Oh, good. He said, I need to ask you some questions. And he said, uh, uh, my taxi's here. I said, well, let's just sit in the back of your taxi. And it was a very cold morning. I was glad to get to do that. And he had no idea that I was getting ready to close down the pilot line ministry. He said, I have a couple questions. He said, the first question is, if I understand this track, you are saying to me that I'm going to go to hell if I don't become a Christian. I said, yep, Charlie, I'm sorry, but uh, you, you are. He said, all right. One other question. He said, many of my fellow taxi drivers are Jews. And, uh, you know, they don't believe in Jesus. Are they going to go to hell? Well, I said, I can't be sure about them unless, but if they don't believe in Jesus, they will. But they might, so you can't say they won't. And I thought he would say, well, thank you. I'm out of here. But he was, he was broken. He was tearful. And he said, you know, I've given a thousand of these things away, but one of your lads gave me this track last week. And he said, I was shaken rigid. I said, would you like to pray to receive the Lord? I went over the gospel. He said, oh, I would. He prayed to receive Jesus there in the back of his taxi. He was back in church the next day. A few weeks later, I baptized him. A few weeks after that, he became a member of the church. He became the most popular member of Westminster Chapel. And then at our farewell at Westminster Chapel, after being there 25 years, at a farewell service, and, and the place was packed, two galleries down the floor, maybe uh, some say 2,000 were there. I don't know if it's that many, but it was full, full people couldn't get in. And major preachers from all over London came to say goodbye. Sandy Miller from Holy Trinity Brompton, John Stott and Richard Buse, very well-known people. J. John was there, and they'd come up and say a farewell word uh, in my behalf. But somebody asked Charlie Stride, the taxi driver, to give his testimony. And he stole the show, and he told how this pamphlet had changed his life. And I told him something after the service he didn't know. I said, could I ask you a question? What was it about that track that got you? He said, that sentence where you say Christianity is concerned most about your death. He said, that's what got me. 
I said, what if I had said Christianity is concerned mostly about your life? He would have said, well, yes, so it is, but I would have kept reading, but it wouldn't bother me. That's what got me. Now, here's my point. When Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, he said it is the power of God for salvation. And the reason that I bring this message is because we find in this section why a person should be saved. Let me ask you a question. Suppose we had sheets of paper as you came in the door and you don't know why you've got it. I want you to write down in your mind on that sheet of paper why you believe a person should be a Christian. And be honest. And after you've had time, you can pass them up forward, and I'll just read them. And I suppose we'd have all kinds of answers. But I'd just ask what would go in your mind right now. Are you saying, well, a person would be far better off? Heal their marriage. Uh, they'll be happier. Uh, God will help you with your finances. And, and, and you'll just be better off. Have you ever heard uh, anybody say, if uh, there were no heaven and there were no hell, I'd still be a Christian? Have you ever heard anybody say that? Well, I want you to know the Apostle Paul wouldn't agree with you at all. In fact, the Apostle Paul actually said in 1 Corinthians 15, he said, if in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are men to be pitied. We, we should be pitied above all men. Now, here is what Paul says in Romans 1, why a person should be saved. He says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. And then he says in verse 18, for, and the Greek word gar is there, for the wrath of God is revealed. In other words, that the end of the day, the reason for the urgency of the gospel, why do you want your loved one saved? Why should you talk to your next door neighbor? Why should you talk to anybody you run into? Why should you talk to them? What would be the point? Well, the answer is because of the wrath of God revealed. Now this, I have to tell you, is a missing note today. And I can tell you another thing. What has happened in our day is almost a complete absence of the fear of God, not just in the nation, but in the church. There is an absence of the fear of God in the church. Now, you will say, well, it's surely it's not the wrath of God that should motivate people. Surely it's the love of God. Let me quote to you John 3:16. Martin Luther called it the Bible in a nutshell. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him should not perish. There. That's why Jesus died on the cross. If you were to listen to a typical television Christian program today, they will tell you that the reason Jesus died 
is so you could live better. Has nothing to do, they would say, with heaven or hell. They don't even think about the life to come. It's all about how your life here and now, you will be better off. How many of you know the hymn, Amazing Grace? Let's just sing one verse. You know it? Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. You know verse 2? Twas grace that taught my heart to fear. Stop. Do you notice those words? Twas grace that taught my heart to fear. Fear. Who have you met lately? Has heard anything about the fear of God? You see, John Newton, he was describing what motivated him. Fear. Oh, surely, surely, R.T., it's the love of God. Listen, this is how far removed we are today from the historic gospel. Well, I'm telling you, this idea that if there were no heaven, there were no hell, I'd still be a Christian. Listen, listen to what Christianity has done for Paul. Would you like to hear Paul's testimony? Picture Paul now, uh, put up here, and he's going to tell you uh, what Christianity has done for him. Would you like to know? He tells you. He said, uh, we're fools, 1 Corinthians 4. He says, we're weak. He says, to this very hour we go hungry and thirsty. Oh boy, I want to be a Christian now. We are in rags. We are brutally treated. We're homeless. Oh, I want to become a Christian. We work hard with our hands. When we're cursed, we bless. When we're persecuted, we endure it. When we're slandered, we answer kindly. Up to this moment, we become the scum of the earth. Everybody says, oh, I want more of that. Where do I sign up? The first person I baptized at Westminster Chapel was a Los Angeles Jew. His name was J. Michaels. His son is Al Michaels, sportscaster. Well, J. Michaels was on his way to Moscow, had an office in London, his secretary invited him to Westminster Chapel, heard me preach, saved the first time he heard the gospel. And I baptized him and uh, became a very dear friend. After he'd been a Christian a year or two, do you know what? Let me give you his testimony. Before I became a Christian, 
I was a happy man. Those are his words. He said, everything's gone wrong ever since. Boy, there's a good advertisement, isn't it? He's not complaining. He's got no regrets. But he's just letting you know. See, this is the New Testament perspective. You need to know this. Well, if you think that was an unguarded comment by the Apostle Paul, uh, let me let's see what if I can find something else. Listen to this in 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 11. He said, I've had the 40 stripes save one. That's 39 stripes, if you didn't figure that out. He said, five times I've received from the Jews the 39 stripes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I've been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from ba uh, bandits, in danger from my own countrymen, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city. Boy, I want to be a Christian now. In danger in the country, danger at sea, in danger from false brothers. I've labored and toiled, gone without sleep. I've known hunger, I've gone without food. I've been cold and naked. Paul would say, don't talk to me about what Christianity does for you in this life. Why be a Christian? His reply is, because the wrath of God is revealed. This is why Jesus died on the cross. One of my mentors, his name was Rolf Barnard. He preached a sermon called The Man Who Was Known in Hell. I say to Bible students, uh, can you find the text for such a sermon title? And I won't ask you to come up with it unless you know real fast. But uh, what? Well, anyway. Here was the text he used. It was when these Jews were playing games with casting out devils. They thought it was fun. And they'd say, in the name of Jesus, who Paul preaches, come out of him. They weren't Christians. They, they, were, they had seen disciples do that, and they were doing it. And they realized one day they were in over their heads, and an evil spirit leaped out and answered them, said, Jesus, I know, Paul, I know. Who are you? And my mentor's sermon, the man who was known in hell, they know about Paul in her hell. The question is, do they know about you? Are you giving the devil so much trouble that you've got a reputation in hell? Or is it you are such a passive, quiet witness? They don't know about you in hell. You're no threat to them. You're ashamed of the gospel. You don't talk about Jesus. You're ashamed. 
Paul was known in hell. Rolf Barnard, as he preached that sermon, says, I want to be known in hell. And I can tell you now, I would rather be known in hell than in New Orleans or Nashville or London. The question is, am I a threat to Satan? You see, the church is so weak today. We've destigmatized the gospel. I'm going to ask you a question. How many of you have never led a soul to Jesus? How many of you have never won a soul to the Lord? How many of you have not won a soul this year? And you've got no plans for anything to change? You say, well, let the pastor do that. You see, you're not known in hell. They don't know about you in hell. You're no threat to the devil. You've heard of William Booth, founder of the Salvation Army. Let me quote his opening words at the first address he gave when he addressed the Salvation Army when they were now officers in training and they were going to go out into the world. They'd been there for two years. His opening words, William Booth, brothers and sisters, perhaps I should apologize to you that I've kept you here for two years in order to teach you how to lead a soul to Jesus Christ. Better had you spent five minutes in hell, then we wouldn't have to teach you. Let me explain these words of Paul when he says the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. He just said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God. He might have said it's the power of God for healing. Paul believed in healing. He believed in healing. Paul might have said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God for signs and wonders. Paul believed in signs and wonders. Talks about it later on in, in this same epistle. But that's not what he said. He said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. He might have said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of the kingdom. Paul believed in the kingdom. But if you bring in the gospel of the kingdom, you, you somehow bring in an aspect where people will think about things the Holy Spirit does and they forget. Paul just said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God for salvation. People need to be saved. Some of you may know that I was invited to, to meet Yasser Arafat, president of the Palestinians, PLO. And I was taken in to meet him and I asked him a question, Ra'is which is the Arabic word for president. Where will you be 100 years from now? 
I said, in 100 years, it won't matter whether you or the Israelis get Jerusalem. Where will you be? I'm asking you that. Where will you be 100 years from now? Do you know for sure if you were to die today, would you go to heaven? Do you? And if you were to stand before God, and you will, and he were to ask you, he, he might, why should I let you into my heaven? What would you say? Suppose we had these sheets of paper ready. And you come in, and you don't know why you've got them, but now I'm going to tell you. I want you, in your mind, to go along with me. You've got that sheet of paper. Pick out a pen. I want you to write down in your mind, this is serious, your answer to the question. Standing before God, and he says to you, why should I let you into my heaven? What exactly would you say? Don't shout out the answer. I just want you to write down the answer on that sheet of paper. There's only one answer. Give the wrong answer. You have to go someplace else. You don't want to go there. And this is for you. Don't ask, wonder what the person next to me is thinking. Because I want you to know when you stand before God, you won't have your friend next to you. You won't have your parents. You won't have your loved ones. You won't have your husband, your wife. It's you, you, you. You will stand before God. And he says, why should I let you in? What's your answer? Well, uh, if you've had time, pass them to the end. Row and ushers come down and collect them. And now I've got uh, several hundred sheets of paper here. Uh, would you like to hear some of the answers? Okay, well, here's one who says, uh, I, I, I've tried to live a very good life. And I would say, good for you, but that won't save you. Where's another? Uh, I have done my best. I would say, I'm sorry. That's not good enough. He said, well, that's not fair. I'm sorry, you're lost. Here's another. I, I was brought up in a Christian home. Well, that gives you a head start, but that won't save you. Here's another. Um, I've kept the Ten Commandments. Well, you're a liar for one thing. Here's another. I was baptized. I'm sorry, that won't save you. Here's another one. I was baptized by a Baptist preacher. You, my friend, are lost as a goose. Here's another. I've kept the Sermon on the Mount. You're a bigger liar. The more space you need on that sheet of paper, the worse shape you're in. Two words will do nicely. Two words. Jesus died. I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God for salvation. And so he says the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. What's the point? Well, that's because the faith of Jesus Christ must be ratified by our faith. Now here's a little bit theological for you. If any of you follow me on Twitter, I've been talking about that and just wrote a blog on the faith of Christ. But let me give it to you in a word. 
Jesus believed perfectly for us. He never doubted. His trust in God was perfect. He not only believed for you, he was even baptized for you. You remember when he came to be baptized by John the Baptist? John the Baptist, oh, no, 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 you baptized me. No, said Jesus, fulfill righteousness. Everything required of you. This is why if you say, well, surely if I've done my best, that will be good enough. No, because you do your best, you still come short of the glory of God. We're all sinners. You don't have to be Saddam Hussein to be a sinner. You don't have to, to be an evil uh, man uh, uh, with the mafia to be a sinner. Sin is, sin is in your thoughts, jealousy, hate, pride, holding a grudge. If you just sin three times a day, you'd be a walking angel. But that's a thousand sins a year, 70,000 a lifetime. You know how many sins it takes to keep you out of heaven? One. You say, well, that's not fair. We're not saved by doing our best. There's only one who did it perfectly. He was baptized for you. He kept the law for you. He died for you. And this is called the faith of Jesus. But that faith must be ratified by our faith. That's why it says from faith to faith. And when we believe, then all that Jesus did is put to our credit as though we had done them. This is why you don't have to be baptized to go to heaven. The moment you believe, all he did, his perfect righteousness, fulfilling the law, and then the blood that he shed on the cross, satisfied the justice and wrath of God. Here are two theological words for you. Expiation, propitiation. Expiation. That's what the blood does for us, washes away our sins. Propitiation, that's what the blood does for God, satisfies His justice. And so whereas the fires of hell never satisfy the justice of God, one drop of the blood of Jesus does. And Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. You see, there are those here. They think in order to destigmatize the gospel, they want to talk about your finances or your healing. What if Paul, when he went into Corinth, said, I know how I'm going to get a crowd at Corinth. I'm going to say, I'm not ashamed of the power of God. And we're going to have people who come up who will pray for your healing. Or you're wanting a job. We'll tell you how to increase your finances. You know what Paul said? He goes to Corinth, ancient city, godless city, center of the business world in, Car uh, in, in Greece, intellectuals there. He said, I determined to know nothing among you save Jesus Christ and Him crucified. You'd say, that's putting Christianity's worst face forward because they all knew about a crucifixion in Greece. A crucifixion, that's where the scum of the earth are nailed to a cross. The criminals get that. And here he goes talking about Jesus being crucified. He said, that's why would he do that? Well, I'll tell you why. Nobody can be saved apart from the Holy Spirit. Are you listening to me? Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit doesn't set in until you mention the blood of Jesus. And so Paul, the reason he could say, I want to go where it's never been, I have so much confidence in this gospel. It's the power of God. 
the mo moment I mention the blood of Jesus, the Holy Spirit comes alongside and people are convicted. You see, any other gospel, you don't need the Holy Spirit, but when you bring in the gospel, Jesus dying on the cross, that's when the Holy Spirit convicts people of their sin, righteousness, and judgment, and this is the way people are saved. I've got to close. Three weeks ago, Louise and I made what was our fourth trip to Enfield, Connecticut. Now, I don't expect you to know where that is or why I'm mentioning it, but I'll tell you. We go there, I've, I go out of my way. Some people go to the Holy Land to see where Jesus walked, uh, and I do that too. But I get even more stirred sometimes to go where the Holy Spirit worked. I enjoy being in this church. This is where our son, T.R., his life has turned around. Back there in one of the aisles when Rodney Howard Brown prayed for him. He was never to be the same again. So I love coming here. But in Enfield, Connecticut, there's a little monument just about this big where it says, on this site, July 8th, 1741, Jonathan Edwards preached a sermon during the Great Awakening, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. Edwards read the sermon word for word, and as he spoke on eternal punishment, and his actual words were, it is by the very mercy of God you're not in hell right now. As he spoke, people began to groan audibly. And Edwards had to quiet them down. He says, please be quiet. I want to finish my sermon. And the more he spoke, he groans and sighs. And when he finished, people were holding on to church pews to keep from sliding into hell. He had taken his text from Deuteronomy 32, 35. Their people shall slide in due time. Men were seen outside the church building afterwards, holding on to tree trunks to keep from sliding into hell. So great was the power of God. It was the height of the Great Awakening. A sermon that is talked about to this day. I go there to pray to God. Do it again. You see, we've lost all sense of the fear and wrath of God. By the way, as I close, let me ask you a question. I want you to be completely honest. Don't play games. In your mind, what did you write down on that sheet of paper a while ago? Be honest. What did you write down? I have to say to you, if you wrote anything other than trusting the blood of Jesus or trusting his death on the cross, if you wrote anything else other than trusting his blood or the equivalent, I would not want to be in your shoes for anything in the world.
don't care who you are, how long you've been coming to this church, if you wrote anything other than trusting the blood of Jesus or its equivalent, I wouldn't want to be in your shoes. But that can all change right now. If you wrote the wrong answer, I'm going to give you a prayer to pray. Don't need to say it out loud. Just say it in your heart. God will see you. Are you ready? Here goes. Lord Jesus Christ, I need you. Tell him. I want you. I'm sorry for my sins. Wash my sins away by your blood. I welcome your Holy Spirit into my heart. As best as I know how, I give you my life. Thanks for listening. Check out our website at www.victoryfellowship.net for service times and for more information. 